Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Are you all basking in the sunshine at the front here? Uh, we're going to pray. And then we're going to look at these words. So do please keep your Bibles open. Chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians 1 to 16. Let's pray. And then we're going to look at them together. Heavenly Father, just as the sun shines through this window this morning, we ask that you would shine a light in our lives and our hearts. We gather this morning, Lord, because we love you. And we long to grow in holiness, Christ-likeness, that we would truly reflect your image in this world. And so search our hearts this morning, Lord. Speak to us by your word, through your Holy Spirit. We open ourselves to you afresh today. we would hear from you and encounter you Jesus not just during this service but throughout this day that you have given us this day to worship you and glorify you in the name of Jesus we pray amen Jesus of Nazareth traveled around Galilee giving a message and he said repent and believe the good news. And Jesus said this to those who heard him when he trod this earth, but also to us today, because he wants us to live life in all its fullness. Jesus wants you and me to live lives that are free from guilt, free from unforgiveness, and free from condemnation. But the truth, of course, is that we, we all make mistakes. We all sin, don't we? We all go against God at times through our words that we use, through the actions that we take, and through the thoughts that we have. And sometimes that looks like anger, it can look like lust, it can look like greed or selfishness or pride. The list is long in Scripture. But sin isn't just about doing the wrong things. It can also be about not doing the right things. In other words, inactivity or silence. Silence in the face of injustice or persecution or evil. I asked my family this weekend, what are some of the things that I should ask for forgiveness for from them? And they've written me a little list. <laughs> and I thought, you might like to hear it. You might even like to add to it. Um, we can get you some paper a little later on in the service. But here we go. Here's the list that they came up with. Number one, uh, and you could try and guess yourselves whether this is from our three children or from my lovely wife who sat at the front. <laughs> I won't do a show of hands because that could get embarrassing. But um, number one, um, impatience when driving. <laughs> number two, impulsive purchases. Uh, number three, 
recycling and throwing things away in the house without asking family members first whether they should be recycled or thrown away. <laughs> Number four, and I realize as I heard this, I do do all of these things, turning the lights off in the house when people are still in the room because <laughs> I, I'm on some mission to save electricity. But we can't quite work out whether it's for environmental reasons and or economical reasons. And then the last one, sneezing so loudly that it hurts my wife and children's ears when I sneeze. Yeah, wow is the word, Trev. Now clearly I could add a lot more to this list. So could you, for me. Uh, but I am aware every time I read the Bible and pray that actually God has an even longer list of those ways in which David Walker doesn't reflect the image of God as he would want me to. And so it's right that as we come before God today and we look at this passage of scripture, we ask, is there anything that you and I regret saying or doing or thinking this week? Are there ways in which you and I have sinned this week that actually God wants to highlight in us, in me, in you? It could be this week, it could be that you're here today and actually you're carrying regret and sorrow from something that happened months or even years ago. But for whatever reason, God hasn't yet had the opportunity to deal with that in you. The Bible reminds us that we are all sinners. Paul, who wrote this letter to Corinthians, writes that he is the worst of sinners in one of his letters. And yet he was forgiven by God, he was used powerfully by God throughout his life. And his words and teaching that we're looking at today continue to instruct us and draw us closer to God in our lives. Now we just read, Io uh, read for us, the passage beginning at verse 1 of chapter 7. But in order for us to really try and understand, well, what is Paul writing about when he writes about purification and holiness and reverence, and he writes that in verse 1 of chapter 7, we need to have a look a, a little bit further back into chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles with you, please open up chapter 6. Um, and what we see here in chapter 6 is Paul's warning for the church against idolatry, idols. Now, idols are those things that take the place of God in our hearts and lives. Because ultimately, every human being worships someone or something. Everybody. The question is, what or who are we worshipping? Right here in Greyfriars, if we have a look at the back, here, it's one of the reasons why I was really passionate we uncover these amazing words because they're words of scripture. And right at the top, you can see there, number one, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have none other gods but me. This is the first commandment that God gave, that you shall have no other gods before him. And Paul is writing to the Corinthian church saying that Corinth, much like Reading, much like every town and city and village in this country, is full of idols and gods. And in our comfortable Western 
first world luxurious existence that we have on this little island called the UK. Idols can look like houses. They can look like jobs. An idol could be money or a relationship. It could be shopping, stuff. You know, we're sat here now in this church whilst hundreds, probably thousands of people are going to be filling the streets of Reading to go shopping today. The word oracle in the Bible refers to the oracle of God, the word of God. But we've turned it into a temple for consumerism here in our town that we find ourselves in. So God would want to ask me and you, what are the idols in our lives? What are those things that come before God? It might be that if we spend more time on social media than reading God's word, it's becoming an idol. Maybe if we're spending more time thinking about upgrading our house and renovating our property than praying, that that has become an idol for us. And it's not that houses or jobs or money or relationships are are, are bad. They're not evil. But it is what place do they take in our lives in relationship to the way that we worship and honor and glorify and praise God, our creator. Because if we get this the wrong way around, it is called sin. And it's for this reason that the Apostle Paul challenges the Corinthians, and he's written a letter to them. That's what we read about here in chapter 7. He wrote a letter before the one that we're reading now, 2 Corinthians. But this letter, we know, was lost. And in it, Paul is writing, saying to the Corinthian church that they, they need to address the sin within them, their gossip, their sexual impurity, their drinking, their division, and more. And we know from verses 2 to 4 in chapter 7 that Paul is writing this letter out of love to the Corinthian church. In fact, in verse 3, if you have a look, verse 3 of chapter 7, he writes, he's not wanting to condemn the Corinthians, but to allow God to convict them. And I want to very briefly help us understand the difference between condemnation and conviction. Because these are long words, and they're words that we often only hear in church. So what do they mean? What's the difference? Well, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. In other words, God has sent his son Jesus to come to this earth, to take our place on the cross, and to rise again. You and I, in Christ, are forgiven. That is the point of Christ's sacrifice. We're not condemned, we are forgiven. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But conviction of sin is a work of God through his Holy Spirit. To point a finger in my life and in yours to those areas where God wants us to change, to turn away from the things that are not of God and to turn towards God. And that is called repentance. 
to turn back to God. And Paul writes to the Corinthians because he knows that they're feeling full of sorrow and regret. They're distressed. They feel guilty. And even Paul, if you have a look at the second half of verse 8, chapter 7, is saying that he regretted writing this letter because he was concerned he'd upset the Corinthians. But he goes on to say in verse 10, and this is the heart of this chapter, that there's two types of sorrow. There's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Now, I am more and more convinced as I journey on as a vicar and a pastor that my job is to help disciple you and grow in your faith. And some of that happens through me talking at you, but some of it needs to happen through you working this out more ourselves. And so I want you now to turn in pairs, or if you don't want to speak to someone, reflect on your own, and just discuss for a couple of minutes, looking at verse 10 of chapter 7. I can see everyone madly looking at their Bibles now, because you know you're going to have to talk to each other. What do you think is the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow? What is the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow? Have a go, turn to each other, two minutes, what do you think the answer is? So let's have a think firstly about worldly sorrow. What is worldly sorrow? Well, there is without doubt a sorrow that excludes God. If we are fearful about being found out, if we are concerned that we've done something wrong and our main issue is that we don't want to be uncovered, if we're concerned about our pride, that actually, if we're found out, it's going to affect my reputation, my image, my name, then this is worldly sorrow because it's about me. The impact is on me. Worldly sorrow is less about God pointing out sin and more about other people finding us out. Or it could be that worldly sorrow, to give you another example, is where we keep on doing something wrong because we want to please somebody, not God, but we want to please another person. And often worldly sorrow results in revenge or bitterness or gossip or anger. And so Paul says in verse 10 that this kind of regret and sorrow leads to death. Or as it says in another translation, those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets and end up on a deathbed of regrets. On the other hand, we read in verse 10 that godly sorrow or regret brings repentance and leads to salvation. Life in all its fullness. Those are the words Jesus used. Godly sorrow comes about not by wanting to protect our own reputation or image, but through a closeness to God. Because the closer you and I get to God through Jesus, the more we see his holiness, the more we see his majesty and his might and his power and his love and his grace and his justice, and the more that we see our own sin in ourselves. That's certainly my experience. Think of it like this. 
if you played football or rugby and your t-shirt was covered in mud and stains, if you were to try and look at that t-shirt in the dark without the lights on at night, you would struggle to see any of the marks, the stains. But the more that you bring that shirt into the light, the more that suddenly all those stains become visible. And the same is true for you and me. The more we draw to God, the closer we get to him, the more we see our own sin and stains. And godly sorrow doesn't lead to anger or bitterness or gossip, but humility and dependence and surrender to God. To put it bluntly, the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow is who is at the center of your sorrow. Is it you and those around you? Or is it God? Because if you put yourself at the center of your world, it will result in death. You cannot save yourself. But if you put God at the center of your world, you will see the good news of Jesus with a renewed wonder and awe every single day. Because we stand as sinners, redeemed by Christ, forgiven by God, because of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for you and for me. We find salvation. That's what Paul says. We find salvation. Not just 10, 20, 30 years ago, once off in our lives, but every single day. We find salvation. We find fullness of life. And we live lives that God created us to live. Not free of trouble, but free of the burden of unforgiveness. And free of that sorrow that comes from being unforgiven. Paul writes in verse 11 of chapter 7 that this godly sorrow changes us. It changed the Corinthian church. They were more worshipful before God. They were more fully human as God intended them to be. They were more passionate about justice, more holy. You know, they stood out as a community of believers whom others looked to and thought, what is it about that lot that makes them look and sound and live so differently? They reflected the image of God in this world. Have a look at the end of chapter 6. Because what we see in there is Paul quotes a number of Old Testament passages that reinforce our identity, God's promises over us, and our call to live as temples of the living God. And so what we read here in chapter 6 at the end, verse 16, is as God has said, God says, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You are God's people. Last week, Natalie was speaking to us from chapter 5 about what it means to be Christ's ambassadors. You know, the UK has ambassadors all around the world. They represent this country. They represent the Queen. 
and the business that we do around the world. But to represent someone means to be like them. We cannot be Christ's ambassadors. If we are covered in sin, if we are putting other things before God. And this is why God says, be separate in chapter 6. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. In other words, turn from sin, turn from darkness, turn from those things that distract us from God. And be holy. Hunger for God. Seek more of him. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Be Christ-like. Live lives that compel others to turn to Jesus. But this change in you and me cannot happen by us just trying harder. Gritting our teeth. Wanting to be better Christians. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in you and me. The Holy Spirit comes to fill us, to convict us, to wash us clean, and to grow us in holiness. So that we can fulfill those words of Jesus. Repent and believe the good news. Not just fulfill them for our lives, but so that we can go out from here. Because this is your ministry called by God as ambassadors of Christ to go out here into the world and proclaim those same words. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus. So let's pray now. I think it's only right that we have a, a few moments of silence. And I want to encourage you to use this silence to ask the Spirit of God to come and highlight in you and me those areas of sinfulness, of idolatry, those thoughts, those behaviours, those words that have not glorified God. Ask the Lord by his Spirit to help identify where we need to repent. We're going to be silent for a moment. And then we're going to pray a prayer of confession that will come up on the screen in a minute. So let's pray together these words on the screens around church and at the frontier. We pray together. Lord God, we have sinned against you. We have done evil in your sight. We are sorry and repent. Have mercy on us according to your love. Wash away our wrongdoing and cleanse us from our sin. Renew a right spirit within us and restore us to the joy of your salvation. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And I want to pray now, Lord, for each one of us that we would know your cleansing, your forgiveness that comes through the power of the cross and the resurrection. We thank you, Jesus, that you hung on the cross for us. You took our place so that we can be forgiven and reconciled with our heavenly Father. 
thank you that through godly sorrow we find salvation. And we pray that you would renew that joy of salvation as we've just prayed. That we would praise you now with a renewed sense of awe and wonder that we are forgiven. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because you have paid the price once for all for every single person on the cross. So may we praise you and worship you. Lift our voices to you, Lord, with thanksgiving that you are our saviour and we are your forgiven people. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.